Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Sean, can you can you feel it uh, happening to you? Like like I can feel it. Like getting transformed. I, I can feel the transformation happening. Yeah. The is energy good? coming from this episode is already pulsing through me. Now let, let let's go to that immediately. What 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 is the trick? This transformation, which for the heck of it, you found something new and you're like, hmm, I'm gonna jump on that train or you think about that are you asking did i control the transformation or did it happen to me did you choose it or did I, just you i going I with chose, the flow i chose to let it happen to me oh let's <laughs> see the lazy part kicked in i'm lazy exactly <laughs> i'm lazy but well, we cannot do that man when we come down to technology and society i i think we're at the point that we have, should have learned our lessons and we know that whatever innovation we do, it's, it's going to affect society. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So I, I would say, let's think about it a little bit. But then there is business. Well, there's business. And it's an interesting point because, I mean, we can think about ourselves as, as individuals. And I can say I'm lazy, but can businesses be lazy as well? I don't know. That's a question. That's a good and, question. Uh, but let's answer some of these questions because I don't have the answer. I can't. Because I'm, I'm Lazy. I just let's <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, I, I saw this book across uh, across my feed called Transformative, and uh, I said I want to talk to this author. I want to dig into what transformative means. I'm thrilled to have William Kilmer on the show. William, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sean uh, Marco. It's great to be here. I really look forward to the conversation today. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, let, let, let's before we dive into the book, as usual, let's uh, hear a little bit about yourself. And then maybe there is already a connection with why you wrote this book. But let's start with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so I'm William Kilmer. I'm a managing partner with a venture capital fund called C5 Capital. Uh, we have uh, uh, a home base in Washington, D.C. and London. And uh, we focus on investments in the technology space, 
Um, specifically, uh, most of our investments are in cybersecurity. Um, and uh, before that time, I've uh, sort of had this track of being a uh, entrepreneur, founder, uh, you know, technology uh, leader, uh, then on to investments, then back to uh, the other side of the table, and then back to investments again. So, you know, I've kind of spent my life either investing in companies um, and and great leaders focused on really interesting technology, or you know, running a company that um, you know was really uh, technology focused and trying to change the world. So the the question for you, to, William, to kick this off is what was the catalyst for writing the book transformative was it an experience you had a set of experiences was it somebody said go do this uh, we want to we want inside your brain because we've seen you do certain things or what what drove pen to paper or fingers on keys yeah sean um you know it's interesting because i think in some ways it's been a culmination of my experience as a venture investor um as an entrepreneur um but it's really been accelerated over the last couple of years um you know and with especially the advent of digital transformation but you know the the basic premise you know that i've worked on is i've worked with a lot of companies uh, some of them have just been you know extraordinary in terms of what they've built and the the products that they built but my experience is that with a lot of business leaders, um, especially in the technology industry, they tend to get really fixated on the product. You know, we're going to build a great product. We're going to revolutionize the world. And, you know, they just keep building on that. And they sort of lock themselves into um, the market as it stands, the existing product categorizations, maybe what the product does. And that sort of puts them into, you know, the, the traditional product market cycle where they're just trying to build better features, better innovation get something that is, you know, whether it's incremental or revolutionary better, largely delivering, you know, what everybody else has delivered in the market, but but in another way. And, you know, as I step back and maybe through my own experience um, at sitting on boards of companies and working with organizations, and certainly as I look at some of the more, what I'll call transformative companies in the world, um, I've noticed that, you know, consistently they focus on a few key things and not all of it is on product. Um, so much of it is on, you know, how they uh, become innovative organizations. And as a result of that, they do something that's purely transformative in the market. And for me, when I define that, you know, as you think about it in context of, you know, uh, digital transformation today, a lot of times we're just trying to take a product and make it more digital, or we're trying to uh, make uh, more efficient operations, you know, improve uh, employee productivity or, or operational capabilities. But when you're talking about being transformative, you're really coming out with a completely different outcome for the customer, a different way that the market is structured um, around that, and really an opening up of the market to invite more customers in and, and revolutionize the way that, um, you know, that that product or service is, is used. I think about one of my favorite examples is, um, you know, uh, multiple years ago before there was a Starbucks, there were a lot of people out drinking coffee. Um, but you'd have to say that, uh, you know, Buying uh, Folgers House coffee uh, is much different from your experience of going to the local Starbucks. You're still drinking coffee, but man, has the customer experience you know changed? The market's changed at how that's delivered, and you get so much more. You get a better experience, not not, or you get a different experience, not just a better one. So many times, I, I try to represent the, the society part of the equation, and so. I always like to bring it there. And as Sean and I were joking, you know, well, how do you jump on that innovation train? 
It's just because you see some blinking light and you're going to think like, oh, everybody's going to love this. Or, and maybe that's the definition of transformation, what is transformative? Is it to pay attention to where society is going? In a way, what comes first? And, and what does smart, let's say, you know, air quote for the podcast uh, that I'm doing right now, what the, the smart company does is an observer of where things are going or transformation means really bringing something new and, and drive society. Yeah. I believe that it's actually a combination of both of those. Um, I think astute managers, astute leaders um, that bring forward uh, innovative solutions are constantly looking at that, that backdrop of what's happening in society and how things are changing to you know, facilitate something new. And in fact, one of the things that I talk about quite heavily in the book is that uh, organizations uh, that do well at, at transforming are great at creating what I call context or a worldview. Um, and this is something I've, I've really encouraged the companies that I work with to do, but it's to sit down and really observe what's happening in, the, in society today, what's happening across different trends, and you know how is that setting us up for something that's completely and totally unique in terms of uh, you know a customer outcome and and what you can deliver. Um, so you know just for example, uh, one of the things I advocate is that companies regularly create a worldview in which they um, you know provide to the entire organization that demonstrates their thoughts about where is the market today and you know what's leading up to where they're going in the in the future. And I think that does a couple of things. Number one, it gets everybody on the same plane. So you know you're you're all thinking about the same things that are happening. I always say that you know you you may not always agree as a management team or as a company what actions you can take or what you should be taking, but you can agree on what's happening in the market today and you know what those trends are that that you're observing that may lead to different decisions. Um, the second is it always allows you to go back to that sort of reference base of your view on on what's happening in the market to to identify have things changed and it opens up to the company that ability to reflect on that and to provide information um you know to the organization that hey some, something may be different now and I'll, I'll give you a great example of this if i can I, I i've sat on the board with a ceo that does exactly this every time and and she's terrific at doing this every board meeting every company meeting that happens, she brings up the same three slides and she starts with, let's remind ourselves why we're here. And that is, here are the trends that are happening in the market is slide number one. Slide number two is, this is the problem that it's causing with our customers. And then slide number three is, here's the capabilities that we are developing as an organization and the solution that we're delivering that is solving their problem. And it's, you know, some people might look at it and say, well, are you just repeating the same thing? She's not. What she's doing is inviting everybody to look at that and say, is, is our situational analysis the same today as it was last month, three months ago, six months ago when we, when we created these? And it really invites your ability to, to look at the market today and say, you know, this is something new that we ought to be considering. And maybe there's a new solution that comes about because of it. I love that uh, example, William. Because I, a question that's been brewing as you were talking is the concept of, of a vision and a mission for an organization and what drives them. And perhaps 
in some organizations minds sets the tone for what they do and how they do it and the culture with which they they operate and i'm wondering does well i i can probably guess some of this but a vision and a mission are often static and if you don't review like this example you gave uh how do you know if you're on the right track to be innovative and be transformative so i guess my question is what defines success in transformation? Who, who sets that mark? Uh, is it the CEO, like you said, or the, the person running the board meetings? Or is it a team of people? Uh, well, I guess the question is, what defines transformation? How do you measure it? And how often do you need to review uh, that definition and, and measurement guide? Yeah, I, I think um, the way that I like to look at it is, I think vision and mission are important for the company, and they oftentimes will drive the overall company strategy. Um, to me, there's a parallel track, which is what I like to call intentionality. And that is you know, this idea that you are able to encapsulate the vision for whatever it is you're building, your product, your service, into a succinct way that um, both defines what your expectation is of the outcome, but also gives um, an openness to the organization to help actually figure out how to implement that in the right way. And so, you know, when I think about great leaders and how they've established that and, and been transformative, um, you know, maybe the first example, best example comes to mind is uh, Steve Jobs. You know, and if you can think back long enough uh, ago to think about the uh, iPod, for example, right? When he was defining the iPod, you know, he said, I want to define, I want to build something that will allow people to put a thousand songs in their pocket. All right. Great vision, great feeling. It's almost tangible that you could think about the type of device that you're going to build. But there was so much around that that was left open to interpretation that the rest of the company could grab onto and and help define what does that really look like? And so, you know, I think while you have your your vision and mission statement to talk about here's where we want to go as a company. You also have your intentionality, you know, or your intention statements, um, which is really, to me, sort of a positioning that helps to define where you want to go with a product and and helps to lead the company and even you know give them an invitation to to help drive that. Yeah, that's a good point. And one thing I would love to hear is highlight. I'm looking at a part of your introduction to the book or whomever wrote that, but it's. The, the statement that transformative companies aren't the first movers who invent new product. And many times, on the other hand, we hear like the advantage of being the first movers in a, in a market. So what, what's the difference between the two and what is what comes in my mind that one may be a fashionable thing, like the new thing that doesn't last, you know, a fad at a moment, but when you really tap into the transformation, you really are there for the long run. So the difference between understanding where you're going and I guess and 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 just like be the first to to bring something to the market. Yeah. This is something that, you know, to me came out of the research that I did, which you know took years of me of sort of putting together. Uh, it came out of a I hate to say a, a bit of a, a failed PhD, uh, you know, pursuit <laughs> where, um, you know, my uh, my my professor at the time said, you know, go write a book on everything that you've learned um, out of this and all of the research that I did. But 
you know, what I came across when I started looking at, you know, so many innovative uh, companies out there um, was that many of them weren't, you know, market creators. We think about that first mover, you know, fast follower type of paradigm. The reality is today is so many of the markets that are, you know, quote unquote new are really something that's building off of, you know, something that exists out there today. I mean, just let's just take the smartphone market, you know, for those who are old enough to remember pre-2007 and, and the iPhone, there was a small, you know, sort of smartphone market that existed. But the reality is smartphone market built off of the, the phone market, right? The traditional mobile phone market, which were kind of, you know, feature phones or, or even dumb phones. Um, and so, you know, what we see is a lot of the markets today are really just a, uh, a recombination, a recreation of existing markets. And so in a lot of ways, you can be both, um, you know, a transformative company that's a new entrant and a uh, and a, and the you know early entrant because you're taking an existing market and you're creating it and turning it into something new, and that comes down to that essence of you know can you build something that's category creating, that really is redefining the the market, the customers and what the customer outcome is um, in order to get there. And I'm I'm going to hit you with a wallop here, William, because one of the things noted uh, as the, as the problem that. Uh, that you wrote about here connected to the book is that companies are putting more resources than ever into creating innovative solutions. Right. And you, you, you note here that 94% of executives express dissatisfaction in their ability to uh, perform innovatively. <laughs> and so the first part of my question is, are they setting themselves up to fail? Are they not investing in the right way? Are they not including the right people? What's the what's the issue with that disconnect of we believe we're transformative, but but we're not actually succeeding at that? And then the second part of the wallop question is, how much of that matters compared to the market's perception of the company being transformative and, and innovative? Yeah, that that's quite an interesting set of questions, Sean. Um, you know, I think if you look at that 94%, that actually comes from a survey done by McKinsey, which I think is very striking, especially when you compare it to, you know, other surveys of CEOs and senior leaders looking at, you know, what they think about their own innovation, right? And and as I mentioned also in the book, just about 70% of organizations uh, today, the CEO thinks that their company is either uh, the market leader in, in innovation or a fast follower. It's you know seventy percent almost, um, and yet ninety four percent of them are discontented with uh, you know with their innovation level, and I think a lot of it is just that they're locked into that paradigm of this is the market we're serving, this is the you know the customer, uh, here's the you know the innovation or the way this product should be, um, and they're failing to find that that breakthrough capabilities that really you know derive something new. Which is why one of the main principles of this book is that everything starts with that focus around the customer outcome. It, it has, you know, it's less to do about can you out innovate a product, uh, you know, or other existing products in the market, at, versus can you better focus on the customer and what the customer's needs are, maybe even what they don't know that they need, and develop a new solution um, around that. Um, maybe one of the, the most historic examples um, of this in my book is Netflix, which I think is a tremendously successful company, obviously. But, you know, if they had just been focusing on better solving, 
you know, blockbuster videos problems way back, you know, 20 years ago. Um, they very easily could have out innovated Blockbuster in a lot of ways. What they focused on was delivering a totally different outcome to the customer, which was how to how to create essentially a virtual library of then DVDs that essentially the the uh, you know the customer was subscribing to. And so maybe you were solving the same problem, which is how do I watch something on a Friday night uh, that that's new or interesting? But they did it in a completely different way. And it was because they focused on what that customer um, could do um, with a solution, how they could use it, and you know, decided that the long tail approach was a much better approach versus just trying to solve the existing problems in the market. Let me, before I let Sean go, I know he has a question. He always has questions, so I, I never worry about that. But I, I want to stick with this Netflix because uh, from a branding and marketing perspective that you always say that you could you can create the need, but the truth is you may point out that there is a need, but the need is there. And if I remember well, one of the main entry points for Netflix in the blockbuster market was the dissatisfaction of the customer with the amount of money they were paying in, in, in late fee return, which was a really large part of the income for for blockbusters. And when Netflix, I mean, they're like, no, look, you can keep it as long as you want. It was almost like a revelation of finally, I can watch this movie whenever I want. And and they kind of felt the pulse of the market, I feel. I feel there. So again, they didn't invent the business. Ironic that now we have 20, when if you do a pay-per-view, you have 24 hours to watch it. Kind of <laughs> yeah, strange, so right? in a way, I guess we, we came <laughs> right. back to that. Right, we're, I, back, we're back around to it, aren't we? Yeah, that's good point, good point. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I think is so, so encouraging about uh, Netflix's history, if you look back, is that um, they actually you know, started from this world that was very, very similar to Blockbuster um, in a lot of ways in terms of their model. Um, you know, They came across DVD delivery in the mail, um, but in fact, if you go back and look at the first year of, uh, you know, of their existence, they looked very similar to Blockbuster in a lot of ways. They were renting DVDs on a per DVD basis. They even had late fees uh, during that first year if you, you know, return them late. And it was only through that process of discovery you know, where they really started to think about what they could do and how they could accomplish it. It was about a year after they actually launched that they decided to, to move over to the subscription model not without a lot of angst, right? About you know whether or not they were gonna destroy their own business by doing it. And now looking back, it was probably the smartest decision they could ever make. So you know, to me, a lot of it is just that process of, as we talked about earlier, understanding the, the worldview or the context, recognizing that things are changing, trying something new, and then building on that. Because I think you know, if you look back at the origin of Netflix, a big part of it was just that start with, uh, you know, with Reed Hastings of saying, look, you know, with DVDs, I can actually slip them in the mail, deliver them to somebody. I don't have to have stores everywhere. You know, I don't have to worry about building 9,000 stores to compete mm. with Blockbuster. Nope. Let's go with that. That's just an easier way of delivery. And then he built on top of that to create what back then was a really amazing, you know, experience. By observing, right? That you're, and be flexible, like be able to adapt and change according to the things that you discover. Many things, many times I think that you know there is a problem, but you're like, well, you know, they don't have an alternative, so they're going to stick with this. Um, so anyway, Sean, yeah, go I've, for it. Yeah, one of the things I'm interested in, the, the role of marketing in this, 
So I touched a little bit on uh, defining success and measuring success. Um, my, my question now is who is the recipient of the demonstration that we are succeeding in our innovative strategy? Is it, is it the market that makes the call of that successful or is it the customer or is it uh, the, the product team that builds it or is it the leadership team or is it the investor? It may be one or a combination or all of those. So I'm wondering if you have any examples of where uh, depending on the stage of the company or what they're trying to accomplish, the, the, the uh, I guess the defining factors are determined or, or judged by a certain number of different folks. Uh, any, any examples you can share where maybe that comes together? Yeah, I think I can. And, and uh, sorry, Sean, I know, I think that was a follow-on from your last question that I failed to answer. So I'll try my best well, this it was, time. It was a wallop. I, I gave you that. It, it, it was. There was a lot to think about. You know, to me, I think it really does start with um, adoption by the customer, right? That is the ultimate success that we're talking about. One of the common threads that I've seen across these, you know, transformative organizations is that, you know, they put squarely in their sites the goal of democratization. You know, their focus is on building the market, creating a larger market opportunity. And a lot of times, you know, their focus is on how to eliminate barriers, how to simplify you know, products and to turn it into something that people will use and adopt. And I think that leads to the follow-on of, you know, the market accepting it, um, you know, the financial markets accepting it, them them being successful. Um, one company that I would just point out that I think is, you know, very transformative today, although, you know, I think there's it's still in the early stages, is a company like Peloton, um, for example, right? Um, you know, they're very focused on that that customer experience. They're not they're not interested in selling bikes, um, you know, for home use. They're not interested in being, a, you know, in a, uh, you know, a gym. What they're interested in is people using their products. And so they've combined that element of, you know, you, some people buy bikes. There's a whole, you know, exercise market out there for, for home equipment. There's a gym equipment or a gym, you know, services uh, businesses out there. They've sort of shed those ideas that there is a market boundary between those brought them together with the idea that, you know, what they want is people actually, you know, creating their own homes uh, as a, uh, you know, as a, as their own personal gym and fitness center and using it on a regular basis. And so, you know, to me, you start with that idea that you're, you're trying to democratize the market and create this availability and accessibility for the product or service that is as broad as possible. And then all of those other metrics sort of, sort of come beyond or come to that. And I think just one point, you know, that we see contrast that with what we're seeing with traditional, you know, views of digital transformation today. If you look at the numbers out there from people like McKinsey, uh, John Cotter, the Harvard Business School professor who focuses on change management, a full 70% of digital transformation projects today aren't even successful by the internal metrics that they set up for it. So, you know, what do you, what are you measuring you know, if you're measuring that outside up adaptation, that customer, uh, you know, adaptation, you're going to be far more successful than if you're just trying to set up something to, you know, get to a milestone of delivering a product that's more digital. I don't know, maybe 70% is okay. Maybe. What you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Maybe, but unfortunately, I think there's another number out there that I've seen, and I'm, I'm thinking it's around 75% of public companies who go through a digital transformation project 
actually end up diluting their earnings and reducing their, um, you know, their financial uh, results out of it. So that's, that's a little concerning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually one of the questions I have is, is, there, is there risk in being too, uh, too aggressive with the, with the transformation? So yeah. I, I mean, I think there can be, you know, absolutely. But, but, you know, just about everything that we're doing today involves, involves some risk. But I think if you look at the traditional, you know, digital transformation, which, you know, again, today largely is focused around, um, you know, digitizing operations, reducing operating costs, you know, improving employee efficiency. If they're failing 70% of the time and somebody else comes in and transforms your market and, and turns out a better customer experience, um, then, you know, you've sort of lost anyway. Yeah, and sometimes there is also that being at the right place at the right time. <laughs> Peloton, Zoom, maybe you know one one of those situations. I'm not saying it's not a good product. I I, I have uh, I use both of them. So, <laughs> but but to be there to be at the also the convergence of different technologies that allow to do what we need to do. It's, it's very important. But let's let's talk a little bit about more the specifics of the book. Um, who, who you have in mind as your main audience? Is it more like a manual that people can follow step by step or outline certain principles that according to the industry and the maturity of the company you have, you can apply? So what what's the mainframe of, of the book? Yeah, Marco, um, I personally believe that there is something in this book for, you know, for just about any industry, um, for any stage of a company, whether they're a startup, an incumbent, um, you know, even, uh, you know, maybe a fast, a traditionally fast follower company. And um, while I think it's largely written towards, you know, those who are um, leaders inside of an organization, I think any, any employee, any person in the organization can glean something from it. Um, and the reason why is I think it, it steps away from a lot of our traditional definitions of innovation. In fact, one of the things I try to get across in the book is that we rely too much on sort of the product technology uh, you know, definition of innovation as the core of what we're doing today. And the book really focuses on you know, three things that I think are, are critical for organizations. And that is, number one, you know, how do you step back and look at building a strategy towards a towards game-changing customer outcomes? How do you really deliver something that creates a new category, redefines the market around that customer solution that, you know, if you're doing it right, probably opens up the market for growth, brings in new customers, and, you know, moves you away from the traditional sort of head-to-head -head competition around product. Um, the second piece is, how do you really develop a strategy for market leadership? Um, you know, if you step away from the product, there are so many other ways to innovate, um, you know, as an organization. Are you doing that? Are you really looking at your industry, um, how you reach your customers and, you know, innovating beyond those, those kind of traditional kind of set rules of your industry? And then the third piece, which I think is um, maybe a bit different for this uh, book, but I've found a high amount of reception so far. And that is, how do you really retool your organization for, for innovation? Meaning, you know, the, the great companies that are out there today, they don't just produce something that's innovative. They are an innovative company that really taps into their organization, um, bringing everybody along in the process, developing a culture that can adapt 
uh, its strategy and its innovation, and that paces itself at a faster pace of you know, finding the problems and the challenges and overcoming them than their competitors. So I think, you know, from those three standpoints of, you know, really looking at game-changing product, uh, you know, how do I lead, how do I get to a strategy of market leadership and how do I create a more innovative organization? There's something there, hopefully for everybody. And in the book, William, do, do you present it in a way that, that organizations and the people within it can kind of self-select these are the attributes that I have or the skills that we have as an organization and therefore this is the path I should take or what's in the book that helps the reader say, here's how I'm going to proceed with the knowledge that I've gained from the book. Yeah. I've, I've tried to set it up really from a practitioner's standpoint, you know, thinking about the reader and what they'd like to get out of it. And I, you know, for me, I'm a pretty avid reader as I'm sure, you know, both of you are, and there's a lot of books out there that I read, especially around innovation, where I'm like, wow, that's really interesting what this company's done. Um, but I, I walk away from it maybe without um, fully understanding how I can apply it. And what I've really tried to do in this book is create a set of questions in, in uh, each chapter that allow organizations to reflect upon that. Um, I've run a lot of groups with, uh, you know, with senior management teams where we've talked through, you know, how do we get to a, a specific outcome? that I've tried to utilize as part of that for them to be able to ask themselves. And I've really tried to create as a framework for them to think about each one of those you know, three areas and assess where they are today, um, make an identification of you know, how they can change and be able to put a plan together. And oftentimes when, especially when we're looking at technology and bringing people together to create new things, uh, it's not about, or not just about a framework and a set of, things available to you to help you move from A to B. It's a mindset and a culture. You mentioned culture before. Are there things in the book to help organizations and the readers, the leaders of those companies, uh, find a way to embrace a culture that's innovative and not just do the check boxes A to Z? Yeah, there is. Um, you know, I've dedicated a, a chapter to, you know, developing what I call a you know, a culture that feeds innovation. You, you guys know the, you know, the phrase that I think was attributed to Peter Drucker about how culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? We always kind of talk about, you know, how culture can defeat us. We don't talk about how do we create a, a culture that actually feeds the organization and, you know, and helps it. So, you know, in that one, I try to outline a, you know, a base case for how a culture can, can assist an organization provide some examples, but then I actually provide a process that I've used to uh, help organizations to actually define what those cultural elements uh, are that they, they want to have in place. You know, for me, culture really comes down to, you know, it's the, it's the principles and the rules and, you know, the agreed upon uh, actions and ways that you can act inside of an organization um, that, you know, help you get things done. And I think this, you know, out identifies a process where, where organizations, again, not, not that they, you know, have to have, uh, you know, a certain Apple culture or a Netflix culture, but how do they define the culture that is going to help them to be successful today and in the future? I, I suspect ethics and morals come in there at some point as well. Not, nowadays, for sure. Absolutely, it does. <laughs> and I think that's the difference between an organic 
sentiment, I'm, I'm going to call it that, in the spirit of the company where there is a, what you, you say, it's a cultural change. You can just say, today we're going to be this, you know, it, the, 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 the old jokes in advertising and branding is it's not who you think you are as a company, it's what the customer think you are. So how you project that out there. And it may be a small technical element in it, but it's very well received and it may be not. But we're going to have to cut this conversation, but I'm going through your book and, and I see an interesting thing that I would even like to talk about. Uh, maybe more in depth, like uh, creating intentionality, transformative advantage, and uh, simplifying, recombining. It's all questions that I would like to ask you, but I think there will be time for that. And for people, well, yeah, they can get the book. So uh, <laughs> uh, how can people get the book? Uh, we, we will definitely have links on the on the notes in these episodes for the podcast and resources and link to your uh, social media as well, if you want, but uh, your last call to action for, for the book and uh, we'll say goodbye. Thank you, Marco. I appreciate it. And uh, I would always love to come back. We can talk about, uh, you know, any of those other topics and or cybersecurity. Uh, yeah. And I'd love to talk about cybersecurity. <laughs> Maybe I think we'll we do could, that. We could fill a few episodes on that as well. <laughs> um, so the, the book will be coming out uh, shortly. Uh, unfortunately, like many things in the supply chain during COVID, it's it's under a bit of a delay, um, you know, currently because of uh, printing resources. But, um, you know, if people are interested in being notified of it, they can go to my website, uh, which is just williamkilmerkilmer.com, and they can sign up to be notified when the book's available. It'll be available shortly here for uh, pre-order on Amazon and uh, other great places. So. Uh, look forward to continuing the dialogue uh, and hopefully getting a chance to talk again soon. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm thrilled, uh, thrilled to have you on and to get your insight on all these points, uh, William. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, to grabbing a copy of this. And I mean, who who doesn't want to transform things for themselves and then hopefully for the greater good of uh, society as well through, through customers and whatnot. So um, appreciate your time, William. Hope everybody uh, enjoyed this conversation. Gets people to think. That's what I care most about. Think, think. Don't don't be lazy like me. Think about what you're doing. Have a purpose. With that, hopefully we'll see uh, you on another show soon, William. And uh, thanks everybody for joining us for another redefining technology. Okay. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Marco. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.
You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.